North Carolina continues to be a hotspot for anti-democratic actions by Republicans. From new voter suppression legislation to attempts to undermine democracy for the entire country, the North Carolina GOP takes election subversion to an entirely new level. Anderson Clayton, chair of the North Carolina Democratic Party, is here to discuss what's happening in the Tar Heel State. This is Defending Democracy, a weekly podcast from Democracy Ducket. We're your hosts. I'm Mark Elias. And I'm Paige Moskowitz. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Anderson. Thanks for having me, Mark. <laughs> so you are the youngest state party chair in the entire country. And so I have to ask you, how did you like get into Democratic Party politics? I mean, no less become the state party chair, but like, how did you like get into all of this? Well, it's funny that I feel like you asked me that question because it has to go, it goes back to uh, voting sites and actually the Democratic Party. When I went to school at Appalachian State University in Watauga County in North Carolina, the Watauga County Democrats in uh, 2015, when I was going into college for the first time, were actually fighting with this county board of elections in North Carolina because obviously they control all of our voting and polling locations throughout the state. Uh, the governor's office, whoever, whichever party is in control of the governor's office, controls what our county board of elections, uh, the majority of them are made up of. And at the point in time, we had, unfortunately, Pat McCrory in office. And so we had a Republican majority on our county board of elections. And I was uh, really excited to vote for the first time. I was 17 going into college. So that was not an average, I feel like, feeling amongst my peers. But it was something that I was really excited to do. And the Watauga County Democrats in, in 2016 ended up suing the State Board of Elections to keep our voting site on campus. Um, and I thought it was just cool because, you know, any other tiny little town or any other place in, in North Carolina, you know, college towns being like Chapel Hill or, you know, Durham, Raleigh, none of them ended up actually suing the state to keep a voting site on a college campus. Uh, but the Watauga County Democrats did. And they won that lawsuit in 2016. And when North Carolina went red um, in that year, uh, Watauga County went blue for the first time. And it did it because students got out to vote. They put their money where their mouth was, is the joke that I've always made of like they, they didn't met, use mailers and they didn't actually um, put that money anywhere else. They just put it into lawyers and, and fighting for something that they really believed in. And they didn't know that they were going to win, but they sure as hell did. Yeah. And I remember that. I was the general counsel to the Clinton campaign and we were cheering you all on because it was a, you know, the, these fights that people, you know, read about uh, in the voting area, um, all too oftentimes they don't realize the real stories behind them, right? Like Shelby County is an actual county that had, you know, and it winds up going to the Supreme Court. And I remember that fight um, because they were really targeting as I recall, the college campus uh, mm -hmm. to really try to just, just like shamelessly disenfranchise students. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that from the Republican Party time and time again, right? They're just getting more and more, I think, vocal about them doing it. We've seen, and I, I quote Cleta Mitchell quite often, to be real with you, around the, we don't want kids to just roll out of bed and be able to go vote. And I'm like, actually, that's going to be a bumper sticker that I put somewhere this year, because all I want is for students to have that access and, and everyone should. But I feel like the, in North, especially in North Carolina and across the country, what we've seen is the stripping of college voting sites, making it harder and, and just, and also for young people in general to vote. I was talking with some high school students the other day and they said, you know, voting is a, it's, it's a privilege in a lot of ways because you don't have, like, if your parents don't normally go out and vote and you're a student or you're someone that wants to, and you don't have a car to get to a 
polling site. It's really hard to do that. And I just think about like the the ways in which we don't think about how much voting is actually inaccessible to some people. So I want to talk to you about a ton of stuff involving voting, and we're going to. <laughs> but I first have to hopefully break a little bit of news with you. So when as this podcast is being recorded, um, the Speaker of the House of the United States Congress uh, has that chair has been vacated. Kevin McCarthy is no longer the speaker. Uh, and what there is instead is an interim speaker. So I'm going to spare everyone the like what it means that someone's an interim speaker. Uh, but that person, that that person who is like in the speaker's chair, at least until they choose a new speaker, everyone, when they heard the name, was like, who is this person? Who is this person? <laughs> it's someone named Patrick McHenry. And he is from North Carolina. So Tell people who had never, frankly, heard of Patrick McHenry, what are we getting? I mean, I'll be honest. He's just as bad as Kevin McCarthy is, in my <laughs> opinion. But, like, the the folks – and that's the thing. The ones that you haven't heard of are actually the ones that you should be most watching out for, in my <laughs> personal opinion, because I think that they're the ones that fly under the radar. Um but Patrick McHenry represents NC10 in North Carolina. I joked with folks, I was like, you know, the only thing that I think good is going to come out of this from the Democratic Party here is that anytime North Carolina makes national news, uh, we gain money. And so anyone that wants to fundraise and help us uh, get him out of office next year, you can go to ncdp.org and make a donation for us. Uh, but that's what uh, the joke of my, my joke has been so far, because otherwise we're just looking at a an unfortunate circumstance, I think. So this is Western North Carolina, right? This is... Yes, sir. And because of gerrymandered districts, right, we've had a really hard fight in Western North Carolina. I think that the best chance that we really saw of Democratic representation was uh, when Jasmine Beach Ferrara actually ran a campaign in NC11 last year. And one of the things that I'm really trying to encourage, right, like Patrick McHenry, honestly, has never had like good competition. And I think that part of what Democrats have got to do in these congressional races across the country is to really get strong candidates, even in races that we know we may not win, um, in order to really be competitive there too. Yeah. So, okay. With that out of the way, I want to get back to the, uh, the topic of voter suppression in the Republican party, because people may not realize it, but the, you, you sometimes hear this phrase that, that, um, a particular law is a voter suppression law that targets black voters. The phrase that that is oftentimes quoted about targeting um, black voters with you know near surgical precision actually relates to a case challenging a law that the state of North Carolina passed, Republicans passed in the immediate aftermath of Shelby County. So Shelby County comes down, section five of the Voting Rights Act is gutted. The North Carolina Republicans in a like very irregular process take a take a relatively small bill, turn it into a monstrosity of a voter suppression law that really uh, was a harbinger of what we have seen now a decade later. They found the provisions of the voting laws in North Carolina that most disadvantaged black voters, <laughs> they enacted those. They found the way to least disadvantaged white voters. They, they stayed away from harming white voters. It was really just a blatant effort as the Fourth Circuit finally uh, ruled um, to to violate the Voting Rights Act and to target uh, black voters to try to disenfranchise them. Then fast forward, 
you have a gerrymander in North Carolina that is like the poster child for terribleness in gerrymandering, right? You have like, and you, again, you have like the Republicans doing like a really gross way. Like I think at one point, like one of them bragged, like they only didn't gerrymander more because they couldn't figure out how to, right? Like gross, gross gerrymander. Then it winds up going to the U.S. Supreme Court on a theory in which the North Carolina Republican Party wants to literally like blow up 200 years of constitutional law. <laughs> so what the hell is going on in your state around voting? Oh, my God. Um, well, it's, it's funny. I joke about it, too. I'm like, you know, even the United States Supreme Court right now that is majority Republican decided my, that my Republicans were too extreme with Correct. more yes. Harper, right? You know, even they said that in some way. And so I'm like, your own party doesn't want you these days, uh, Tim Moore. But it's a it's really interesting. And I think that we've seen it time and time again. And I was actually talking with um, Simon Rosenberg yesterday and, you know, famous consultant, like, you know, a DNC person. Very and I, I just, yeah. You know, yeah, very intelligent, right? Just someone that I think um, can kind of speak to what we're going through right now. But he looked at me and he said something interesting. He said, interesting, you know, when I look at national folks and I say the two states that I am most concerned about for the future of democracy, Wisconsin and North Carolina. And he said, not for the fact that like, you know, they equal a presidential election or they equal 270, he said, but because of what's happening in their state legislatures. And he said, both of them, because of gerrymandering, the most severe cases of gerrymandering that we have seen throughout the country, you know, this is this is where our time and attention should be when we're looking at people are not getting to fairly choose their elected representatives, right? Their representatives are choosing them. Um, and I think that we are seeing here the be the worst cases of voter suppression in every way, shape and form, like you said, alluding to Senate Bill 4 or 747, what we're looking at right now and, and Cooper's veto of that. I mean, that bill is basically allowing for people to be harassed in polling locations. If you're in a rural community right now and you're able to walk into a polling site, you can have up to 12 people, according to that bill, on, on behalf of a candidate inside of a polling location, walking around and listening to you talk to election officials, right? Like that in and of itself is voter intimidation. And we're seeing it not only in that small piece of that bill, but in other forms of it too. And in macro terms, I think for the idea that, you know, election day, when you're looking at mail-in ballots, because Republicans, I feel like have not yet fully capitalized on them or figured out how to, and, and obviously Democrats have, and they know that, right? And so they said, well, we're not going to give, you know, the Postal Service three days afterwards to give us time-stamped mail-in ballots. Instead, it's going to have to be the day of election day. If, if those mail-in ballots are not in by 730 on election day, they're not going to count. We're going to throw them out. And I just, I think that's where we're at right now in North Carolina, that the only way that Republicans can effectively win elections over the last decade is by, you know, gerrymandering and rigging them in some capacities. And people get all hyped up when I say rigging elections because they're like, Anderson, the Democrats are not supposed to say that. But I'm like, but in North Carolina, Republicans are doing it. And it's true. Like, and we don't necessarily have the recourse for it, right? You know, our Supreme Court is completely Republican. It's owned by our legislature. Um, our executive branch is effectively the weakest that it's ever been because of our legislature. We don't have three strong branches of government right now. Yeah. So look, I think you can make a very good argument that North Carolina Republicans have been the most anti-democratic legislature uh, in the country for some time now, you know, and and that the Republican Party of North Carolina, even less so than many of the other um, Republican parties in the in the South, have refused to 
sort of give up on the traditional voter suppression tactics aimed at black voters and young voters. I mean, you know, remember, you know, for those of you who don't remember the history, North Carolina was the home of Jesse Helms, who ran a, a you know, racist uh, Senate campaigns for years uh, into the uh, into the early 90s. I mentioned that you had the 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 law that was struck down for being racially motivated uh, to target black voters in 2013. The map that was first drawn by the Republican legislature after the 2010 census was struck down as a racial gerrymander. Um, and so we see time and time again, and of course, you know, the scandal in Bladen County involving McCray Dallas and Mark Harris, the victims of that scandal were black voters, you know, were in many respects black voters. So so they are they are unrepentant in so many ways. And you combine that, as you say, with a legislature that has stripped the governor of power, you know, that has that has, as you say, you know, sort of changed. What legislature, Anderson, in its right mind, takes nonpartisan judicial elections and makes them partisan? Like, literally, that's what the Republican Party did in North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, and we're seeing the, the cause and effect of that right now, right, too, in every way. Yeah, so tell people what the cause and effect of that is, right? The North Carolina Supreme Court was, for many years, a pretty good court. It was fair, like what people would say, the, the or like the traditional way to define our courts would have been fair and partial and balanced, right? And, and I think that that's the way that they should be. And a lot of Democrats, I'll be honest with you, are not happy with it being a partisan court because they, they enjoyed being able to say, you know, we want to remain impartial. We want to do our due diligence to the law of the land and not necessarily a political party. And it's making it harder for people to not necessarily, I think, distance themselves, but even more so not be able to, to come out in full advantage of that. And I think we're just seeing the most partisan and the most polarized right courts that we've ever seen in our state's history because of that. And that's that's a direct result of what Republicans have done in our state. But I also think that, you know, we're going to see Democrats this year. I'm really excited for uh, Justice Allison Riggs, who just got newly appointed to our Supreme Court. She's only one of two Democrats that are on there with Justice Anita Earls. But I'm excited for her to run this race this year and in 2024, because I think that uh, she's going to utilize the fact that judges do not have to run or have to run in partisan races and and really go after the fact that we need to be protecting, you know, our constitutional rights to an abortion, uh, to making sure that everyone has what they need under this judicial system. And all of this is possible because of a party switch in North Carolina. Yes. You know, what's funny. I asked someone the other day, there was a WREL poll that came out about how many people could you identify? Like, could you identify the governor? Could you identify the AG, the lieutenant governor? And people couldn't identify any of my top elected leaders, Republican or Democrats in office. The one person they could identify, Trisha Cotham. And I thought it was so funny because she's really become a household name. And uh, for those of you that aren't aware, you know, back in March, the unfortunately we had a, a Democrat flip parties on us and she was a Republican. She got elected in uh, HD 112. It was a 61% Democratic district in out of Mecklenburg County, Charlotte area, for those of you that are, for, are not familiar. Um, but it, it's wild to me because she campaigned on right protecting a woman's right to choose and also uh, protecting the LGBTQ plus community and voting rights for that matter and, and went back on all of those this year. And so I assume you guys are recruiting candidates and we'll we'll have a we'll have 
an opportunity to take that seat back. We will, yes. I mean, actually, I, I feel like Trisha, though, is probably going to be running for higher office is what we uh, expect from that <laughs> to some degree. Uh, but no, we are recruiting candidates in every single state house and Senate seat. Uh, we left 44 seats uncontested in North Carolina last cycle. And I know that we're seeing that as a trend across the country in a lot of southern states in particular, a lot of places where we're like, well, they ain't going to win an election, so why should we put somebody up on the ballot to be a lamb out to slaughter in some ways? And I'm trying to turn around that, that methodology or that logic and say, we need champions, Democratic champions in every single one of these districts to make sure that they're championing the Democratic cause and giving people someone to vote for on a ballot. Because I think that the idea is that you know, we're a party that values democracy and democracy isn't democracy without choices. And so we need to make sure that we're giving people choices everywhere. Um, and unfortunately, with Trisha, we did have someone else in that primary. And I, I feel like folks need to understand that, too, that part of how she got it, how she got in office in general was to um, she stuck in the primary at the last minute and also ended up having the backing of money from Tim Moore and, and several other private charter schools, hmm. honestly, that, that backed her and supported her financially. And it's something where we've got to make sure that we're watching that every step of the way this next year, because we know that Republicans and especially in Democratic areas are trying to sneak Republicans into Democratic primaries and into Democratic seats. Absolutely. Absolutely true. Um, you mentioned things we're watching. And one of the thing, one of the big questions I get most uh, that I need to ask you about is redistricting. So obviously, um, the state Supreme Court flipped and there will, I'm going to spare people a whole lot of background. There will be another round of redistricting in North Carolina. It has just kicked off. Um, people want to know what they can do. Like they feel powerless. I get, I get asked this, you know, by people in North Carolina and I tell them turn, like there are hearings, like turn out, like people need to be as engaged and as loud as possible. Yeah. But no, what they do. do. You, but, what, but what do you, I know, right. I, I, I hear the skepticism, but like, what, what, well, what is I our plan? And only skepticism, because I'm like, when Republicans only give you a week to know when those hearings are going to be right, it's really hard to get people out to them. And that's also part of this, right? And I, so I think that what people need to understand is that it's going to be frustrating. And in North Carolina right now, in my opinion, it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. And these maps that we have coming out are going to try to be a little bit worse. The hope that I think that people need to maintain is that even under gerrymandered maps last cycle, Sherry Beasley still won five House districts that the state party lost last year. So, I mean, we should have had a Democratic hold, right? We, we should have not been in a supermajority. There we go. Um, because we should have had five House seats. And so we lost those House seats by 500 votes or less. They were Democrats in areas that we needed to have ground game infrastructure on and in at. And so what I'm looking at everybody right now is if you're upset in North Carolina, you're mad at what's going on, the only thing that changes this are elections. And you need to get involved in your own backyard and find someone, a state house candidate, a Senate candidate, a county commissioner candidate that makes you feel inspired to get out and knock doors this year and turn Democrats out to vote. Because we have the numbers in our state to be able to do that. 134,000 votes that Sherry Beasley lost by in 2020 or 2022, I mean, and then also the um, the uh, 74,000 that Joe Biden lost by in 2020, it's made up of the margins. And we need to make sure that we're going after those in every single one of our communities. And so the Democratic Party is uh, dead set on having boots on the ground infrastructure in all of our counties this year. And we want everyone to get involved with that right now. We'll be back in a moment with more of our conversation with North Carolina Democratic Party Chair Anderson Clayton. 
Hey, Paige, so I see Democracy Docket has hit a really big milestone. Our free newsletters have more than, wait for it, 150,000 subscribers. They do. And as a thank you, we have an exclusive offer just for our listeners and subscribers. When you shop the Democracy Docket store this month, you can get 10% off your order of $25 or more. Just use code THANKYOU10 at the checkout. Click the link to shop in the description of this episode. Just use code THANKYOU10 for 10% off your order today. So one of your, I won't say platforms, but one of your known fours is that you are motivating and organizing and inspiring young voters throughout the state to take democracy seriously and to vote. And, you know, you've pointed at, you pointed out earlier that Cleta Mitchell has a different plan for, for young voters in North Carolina. How, what's the plan to get, and, and, you know, North Carolina has so many schools, right? It's got, it's got, it's got universities and colleges all over the place. So what's the plan? Yeah. Um, having someone on every college campus that is registering voters and responsive to the party. Like I said, I've been trained under the uh, Pam Williamson and the Watauga County Democratic model, right, of we register college students on their campus and where they are voting because we know that that's when they're go- like they will vote that way. Uh, because one of the number one reasons why we see young people not voting, especially when they're in college, is because they're registered somewhere else and they need to go back home on election day. And they find out, you know, on that Tuesday, they're like, oh, man, I'm supposed to be in Charlotte. I'm in Boone at this moment in time. That's a two hour drive. And I don't really want to do that right now because I've got classes. And I think the most important thing that we can be doing is helping students know their rights to this. So, like, you can be you can register on your college campus and in your community that you're living in. And um, a lot of people, when we were registering students in, in Boone, they gave us a lot of shit, to be honest with you, for the fact they were like, well, college students aren't residents. And I was like, we live here for four years. And the average time that someone lives in any location that they're in right now is two to three years. And so I said, college students are residents and they should be treated as such. And so um, part of that is just getting out on these schools. We did welcome weekends uh, when, you know, September and August were, were happening for um Pack-a-palooza on NC State's campus um, and getting out on UNC Chapel Hills and um, several of our HBCUs in North Carolina, uh, NC A&T, that is one of our most gerrymandered HBCUs. You also have um, Central and a couple others that are right there in the Triangle area that we're really focusing on just right now to get chapters active. I've made it so I really, I, tell, I love by way, my- By the way, I can tell you're a, a, a real North Carolinian because you managed to name every school in Triangle area except for Duke. Okay, like literally, no, you're like, school. oh yeah, there's another I school. My- there's one other school in Durham. <laughs> I named my public schools, Mark. I um, I leave my privateers to do what they need to sometimes. But no, and that is, I'll be honest, that is one of the strategies. Is like we are focusing on the UNC public schools first, like the UNC system schools, all 16 of them that have, um, because six of those are HBCUs, right? And then the other majority of them are flagship universities throughout the UNC system. And they're located in different parts not to say my Dukies are not. Um, I did do an event with the Duke uh, Duke College Dems. I told you, Mark, we're going to have to get you back uh, to Durham with us. To yes, I, I, am, uh, I am an alum of the law school and the graduate school, and my wife and family have strong Duke ties. So I am I am used to North Carolinians uh, omitting uh, the Blue Devils from, uh, from 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 their list. It probably gets you more. It probably gets you more supporters this way. But let me ask you um, uh, another another question. You were. Um, profiled earlier this year uh, by Democracy Docket. And you talked about 
um, how the governor's race was going to be an entry point for youth voting. And people don't realize how important it is that North Carolina continue to have a Democratic governor. I mean, and I mean important not just in North Carolina, I mean important for the country. So talk to me a little bit about the governor's race. You could talk about the other statewide as well, but the governor's race and why you see it as that entry point for whether it's young voters or other Democrats to get engaged. Yeah, because I think, honestly, one of the things that motivates more people to get out and vote right or top of the ticket races, that's an unfortunate reality. I'm, I'm trying to flip that on its head, to be honest with you, Mark. I'm trying to get more people inspired by the bottom of the ballot than more than anything. And I think that's what we are doing this year in North Carolina. But I see the governor's race as a way to really excite young people, especially um I mean, we, had, we do have a primary in our governor's race, but either way, we would have the first of something with whoever we might get in this. And so Josh Stein would be the first Jewish governor of our state. Mike Morgan, who's the other uh, person, our former Supreme Court justice that's running, uh, would also be the first black man to be governor of North Carolina. And we have a, a huge population, I think, that would love to see representation in a way that they haven't right now. And, and so I think that the, the competitiveness of this is going to be inspiring for a lot of young people. But in general... I think that politics right now is motivating a lot of young people to get involved. And I hear it all the time from folks saying, well, Anderson, young people are not involved with politics. What do you mean? And from my perspective, I think that young people like this generation is going to be the most educated, well-informed generation that we have. And they care about specific policy issues. And so I really do think that in the next gener or the next cycles of elections, what we're going to see is a lot more, a lot less focus on party and a lot more focus on policy. Um, and that's something I'm really excited about and something that I'm hoping the Democratic Party can mobilize young people with right now. I also think that young people, though, are inherently opposed to structures and systems. And I get that the Democratic Party in and of itself is a structure and a system. Um, but the thing that I'm trying to inspire young folks to see is that I got in this role because I believe in changing systems. And I think that you all can do the same thing, too, in your own backyard. But also you can't do it unless you get involved. So one thing that is like really refreshing talking to you about is uh, which like. I've talked to, in my career, probably more than 100 state party chairs. Congrats and condolences, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I've, had, I've had a few cycle through. But I, I have to say, it is so refreshing to hear you talk about the role of county and local party organizations. I mean, literally, I never hear that. And is that part of, I mean, you, you, you started our conversation by talking about the role of a county party organization. Uh, in your own coming into politics. And do you think that the way young voters and others will be brought into politics are in these hyper, I don't mean hyper local in a bad way, but like in these very localized democratic clubs or organizations or groups or county? Yeah. Is that where you you see this? Because usually state party chairs are talking about their, their next uh, uh, you know, the next um, dinner, you know, the next ga gala event. <laughs> don't worry. I'll talk about those two. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm such a grassroots person. I think like I, I was a party chair before I got into this job. Right. And I, I looked at that as though I always thought that rural County parties were looked at kind of like the redheaded stepchild. And I was like, we're doing this for free out here. What do you mean? Like we're, we care about this stuff. That's why we're doing it. And I think there needs to be a lot more respect, honestly, given to volunteers and, people on the ground who just like they're putting their time and hearts and souls and energy into this work. And it is not easy. Um, and I know a lot of my state party chairs honestly are not paid full time. Like there are whole things that we can go through about like who's actually able to become a state party chair and why do we not hear more people talk like me in this job? And 
Um, and I, I think that's a conversation to have too at some point, but it's just the, um, the places that I find the most power. And, and I'll give you an example, like Jackson County right now, I've got Democrats in West, far Western North Carolina, Jackson County's tiny. I was going to say, you got to tell people where no, Jackson I get County you, is. I get far you. Western it's North. Western North Carolina. <laughs> it's red, it's rural, you know, and I got Bruce Eddy out there that looks at me and he goes, Anderson, if we can get all of our precincts or precincts organized, we can up voter turnout by 3% in every single one of them for Democrats. And I was like, Bruce, buddy, in a race that's going to be won on the margins, everyone matters. I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're out there in Jackson County or Cherokee County, Dare County, wherever. Your vote is just as good as a vote that's come out of Wake County or Mecklenburg County or Forsyth County. And those are my, like, you know, my larger urban metropolitan counties. But I think it's important that people hear that call and that they know that everybody matters to us this year in that way and next year and every year after. Everyone needs to know that they have an equal stake in our democracy and nobody is better than they are. They have a right to vote and they should exercise it. But people want to know what they can do to help you. You know, how can they help? How can those of us who care about the work you're doing and frankly are inspired by you and believe in you as a as a leader in a pivotal, pivotal state. How can we all help? Well, I joke with people all the time. I'm like, these these profiles have been great, but I can't do it by myself. <laughs> um, and, I, and I got here from a, a great group of young people from across the state that were excited to have a change in leadership in the party and also excited to see a new direction forward for what we can do together. And I think that anyone that wants to get involved right now, I do talk a lot about county parties because I'm trying to rebuild them at this moment in time. Like the Democratic Party infrastructure, we need it in every single county. Everyone deserves to know that there is a place, there is a community that's there for them, especially in my rural communities right now. If you're a part of the LGBTQ plus community and you're being targeted in rural North Carolina. And so I really, really encourage every single one of you to uh, go to the ncdp.org website. All of my county parties are listed on there and ways to get in touch with them. Find your local county party. Um, and if your local county party is kind of DOA right now, reach out to us and help us revive the heck out of them because we need uh, new and energetic leadership everywhere in all of our counties. We also need people to step up and run for office. And the, the joke that I've made with folks this year is I'm like, are you, are you writing for office? Or are you writing a check? And if you're not doing both to the Democratic Party, you're doing something wrong because democracy is on the line and every single one of you needs to get involved with it, to feel that, to put your hand on it and say, I don't want it to go anywhere. Um, and I think that in order to do that, all of us need to be asking our Rolodexes, you know, are you registered to vote? And in North Carolina, do you have an ID to vote? And so making sure that you're going out to your churches, your rotary clubs, your uh, your high school basketball games and taking a clipboard of voter registration forms with you and and asking folks around you. Because what happened in, in the last three election cycles in North Carolina is that we didn't get Democrats out to vote. And that's turning to our own communities and saying, I need my my sister and my cousin and my friend and the woman that I met at the grocery store to get out this year. That's what's going to be most important is voter turnout for us. So get involved and stay involved, y'all. If you live in North Carolina and there is a vacancy for any office, you know, doesn't matter how how small or big, if you if you're a Democrat and there is a vacancy in office, run for run for it, run for something as uh, uh, as uh, as they say. So, like you know, because Democrats are not going to win if they don't field candidates. Number one, number two. If you don't, if you can't run and you're in North Carolina, volunteer with your local Democratic Party or club. Knock doors, send mail, send texts, reach out to your social circles, your friends, and tell them how important it is to register to vote and to vote. And to my audience who's listening and saying, I'm not in North Carolina, if you know someone in North Carolina, contact them. Otherwise, 
go to the North Carolina Democratic Party website. I'm going to we're going to include the link in the show notes here. Make a contribution, whatever you can afford. Money to the North Carolina Democratic Party is about as effective money as you can spend right now in politics, period, period. About as effective money as you can spend right now if you care about democracy and you care about electing Democrats. So, Anderson, thank you so much for joining today. You are amazing. You're an inspiration. I hope you come back. Uh, well, I hope you have me back, Mark. And, and y'all heard that out there. That came from the democracy defender himself. Best place you can spend money right now is North Carolina. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for listening to Defending Democracy. You can find all of the cases and articles we mentioned today linked in the show notes. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review. And to find out more and stay up to date on the latest voting rights and election news, visit democracydocket.com. Please subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters. We'll see you next time. Today's episode was produced by Ali Rothenberg, Gabby Corporal, and Paige Moskowitz. It was edited by Paige Moskowitz. Defending Democracy is a production of Democracy Docket, LLC.